Thankful is our sermon series for this month. Thankful. And we know what it means to be full, right? This past Thursday, many of us were full. In fact, kind of busting at the seams, you know, I loosening up some, some belt notches there. And why do you do that? Because uh, as full as you are, there's always room for just one more bite, isn't there? There's always room for just that little extra bite of uh, apple pie with some black coffee or another serving of turkey or ham or whatever it might be. So even though we're full, we know what it means to be uh, uh, not that full just so that we can have one more bite. And, and so it should be when it comes to our gratitude for God. And so it should be when it comes to our thankfulness for God and what he's done in our lives, that, that even though we're thankful and appreciative and, and, and just, man, we can't express enough how thankful we are, there's always room in our lives to be just a little bit more thankful, a little bit more thankful for what God is doing, a little bit more thankful for what he spared us from, from, from the miracles that he's done in our lives and what he's doing in our lives and the blessings and, and the gifts that he has given us. See, each of us here, we have a testimony of what God has done in our lives. We have our, uh, and I want to say it's probably my favorite te- um, service of the year is our Thanksgiving service where we have uh, members of our church uh, stand up and give testimony of what God has done in their lives. And, and this last Tuesday when we had our Thanksgiving service, man, you could just sense the appreciation. You could hear people just being thankful for God, thankful for what he was doing, thankful for their church family, thankful that uh, God has spared them and saved them and healed many of them. I tell you, Sister Ruthie gave an awesome testimony and, 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 uh, of what God was doing in her life. Uh, and you know what happens when we glorify God? You know what happens when we give thanks, when we give praise, when we openly share of, of the mighty works that God has done in our lives? Well, he's glorified. He's praised. He's lifted up. Uh, you know, and when he's praised and he's lifted up, uh, you know, the devil's defeated. His lies uh, begin to be exposed, and we realize that, that our God is a great God, and he's greater than the enemy. He's greater than the devil. He's greater than whatever circumstance we might find ourselves in at, at that present moment. People become edified, built up, and encouraged, and they realize, and they say, man, if she can make it, if he can make it, then I can make it. If God bless them, then God's going to bless me. And it, and it strengthens one another by the word of our testimony, the Bible says, in the blood of the Lamb, we overcome the enemy. But you know what else happens is that people get saved. Souls get saved. The word of God gets planted in their lives. They get touched and become sensitive to the spirit of God. And they recognize that need for a savior in their lives. In the book of Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, it says, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. We know that Jesus is the source of all that is good within our lives. He's our blessed. God is God the Father uh, through his son Jesus Christ has blessed us. God has given us every uh, uh, gift that we that we have received. The Bible says that it comes from God. Those blessings that uh, we can't put a price tag on. Those blessings that, uh, that, that we just say, Lord, I can't thank you enough. And even those blessings that come in the form of, of material or even physical blessings, man, we thank God for those. But, you know, those blessings sometimes, 
you know, they could be taken away. You know, we, we talk about getting the check in the mail, right? And what do we do with that check in the mail? Well, we tithe it and then we spend it, right? You know, I got a check in the mail the other day. It was for like 20 bucks. I said, praise God, man. I said, Lord, appreciate that. Man. It's awesome, you know. And what happens, though, but when, when those blessings go away, though? What happens when, when those material blessings uh, are taken away? Can we still praise God? Can we still say, thank you, Jesus? Can we still say, Lord, I appreciate all that you're doing in my life? Uh, you know, Job was able to say that. He's, he's a great example of a man that had wealth, and he had many blessings. Uh, and in an instant, it was all taken away from him. And Job, is, his thankfulness to God and his relationship with him, he was still able to say that though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. I will still trust in God. I will still put my faith in God. I will still serve God. See, we have a lot to be thankful for, church, tonight. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, no matter what situation you might find yourself in, we have a lot to be thankful for. You might have gotten a bad report from the doctor, but we still have a lot to be thankful for. I was talking to... Brother Tom, and he was telling me about um, when my wife was uh, going through uh, cancer treatments. He says, you might not have seen it then, but that was a blessing because it strengthened your faith and it taught you how to pray. And I tell you what, when, when, when my wife got that diagnosis, it wasn't like we were like, oh, thank you, Jesus. No, it was like a punch in the gut. The, the wind came out of us. But we were still thankful because we weren't alone. God was with my wife. He was there in those darkest of times, uh, and, and he was right there by her side, and, and he was teaching her how to pray, and he was teaching me how to pray, and he was doing a work within our lives. And, and you know what we were also thankful for? It's our church family, just like Sister Ruthie was, was talking about. The, the same church family that was ministering to my wife is the same church family that was ministering to Sister Ruthie. It's the same church family that we minister to one another, man. I thank God for this church family. I thank God for each and every individual here. You know what? Turn to your neighbor right now and tell him I appreciate you. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate you being in my life. Doesn't that feel good to be appreciated? Doesn't that feel good to be able to say I appreciate you? God is, is a good God, man. See, tonight... We might be here in a place where we might have needs. Each and every one of us has, has a need. We might need a miracle tonight. We might need a miracle of healing. We might need a financial he uh, miracle. We might need a breakthrough. We might need a spiritual miracle. Whatever it is, uh, that miracle that we're asking for, we serve the God of miracles. The Bible says that there is nothing impossible. With, with what is impossible with man, with God, all things are possible. Maybe we need a breakthrough tonight. Uh, maybe you're facing a decision and, 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 and you're asking God for wisdom and discernment or, or maybe some guidance and direction. Well, God has given it to us through his word. Amen. We could be thankful for the word of God that helps guide us and shapes us and, and directs us and, and, and counsels the decisions that we need to make. But I think here, each and every one of us, the, of all the needs that we might have, it's the need for salvation. Every single one of us here has the need for salvation. There's some of us here that we're born again. We've received salvation. Christ Jesus has come into our lives. We are following him. But, but that was the number one need in our life at one time 
was the need to be saved, the need to be rescued from our sin, the need to be forgiven of our sin. It's an awesome feeling to know that uh, you know Jesus, that your sins are forgiven, that heaven is your home. It's, it's that peace that comes upon a person's life uh, when they make that dedication to serve Jesus Christ. Years ago when I was a, a new convert, uh, I uh, was working at this uh, job and I was new there and, and there was a, another individual there and he, uh, he was a Christian, uh, read his Bible, uh, read his Bible at lunch, breaks. He was always in his word and, and uh, I, I would talk to him and we would talk and it, I could tell that he was very intelligent and he was very uh, knowledgeable of the word of God. He knew the Hebrew and he knew the Greek and he knew theology and, and we would talk about the Bible and and uh, right next to where we worked, there was this park. And sometimes I would have my lunch there at this park, and, and that park was kind of gang infested. There would be some gang bangers there, and, and, and I would tell them, hey, why don't we, during lunch, maybe go out and talk to these individuals? And I remember he was like, mm, that's not going to happen, you know. He, he kind of looked down on them, and he kind of said, you know what, that, that wasn't really worth uh, his effort or time. And, and how many know that, that, man, you know what, God loves, God loves people, man. The heartbeat of God is, is people. No matter where they're coming from, no matter what they're involved in, no matter what walk of life they're coming out of, uh, he loves people. And he told me, if you want to go, you go ahead and talk to them, you know. So, I, you know, we did. I went by myself, and chatted with them from time to time, and, and uh, you never know how God will, will work in a person's life. You can plant seeds, you can, you can water, the Bible says, and you can even reap that harvest that others have planted and watered, man. But what got me was that here was this individual, knew the word of God, he could quote it, and yet there was something missing in his life. There was something about him that, uh, that uh, he was holding inside, what, what God had given him, the gift of salvation, the blessing of being saved, of his sins forgiven. Rather than going out and sharing it with others, uh, he was keeping it to himself. Uh, and he was not allowing what the blessing that God had deposited into his life be given to someone else. See, tonight I, I've entitled this message, Hope for the Recovering Pharisee. Hope for the recovering Pharisee. And this individual, as knowledgeable as he was in the word of God, there was a bit of a Pharisee in him. There was a bit of a Pharisee in him because he lacked that heartbeat that God wanted to place within his life for the lost. When we hear Pharisee, we think of the religious leaders in, in Jesus' time. We, we think of self-righteous uh, leaders. Uh, we think of these individuals that were coming against Jesus and coming against uh, his ministry and, and, and what he was trying to minister to, that the kingdom of heaven was at hand, that it was within reach, that it was for the, those that would reach out and say, I want to make heaven my home. I want to know Jesus. I, I want a relationship with God the Father. And so oftentimes we don't think, of ourselves as being Pharisees. We think about these individuals that are cold or selfish or um, religious. But if we're honest, you, and, if, and if we're not careful, we can have a little bit of religious Pharisee within our lives. Jesus, he warned his disciples, and he said in Matthew eleven six, 6, he said, take heed and, be, and beware 
of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what he was telling his disciples was, don't allow these individuals to uh, influence you. Don't allow the, the Pharisees and, and what they're standing for to begin to influence your attitude and sway you away from what God has been calling you to do, and that's to love people and to be thankful for all that God is doing in your life. We serve a good God, a God that's patient with us, a God that loves us, and he's working with us, and he's molding us, and he's shaping us, uh, and he's doing a good work in our lives, and, and man, we can just thank God for all those wonderful blessings that he's just been working within our lives. There's a story about Nicodemus in the book of John, chapter 3, verses 1 through 9. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, the ruler of the Jews. And this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him and said, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you that unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. He says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? See, throughout the ministry of Jesus here on earth, the Pharisees were constantly challenging him. They were constantly doubting him. They were questioning his motives. And, and they would come against the, the healings and the miracles that he would perform because it was contrary to what they believed was the law. It was contrary to what they felt that he should be doing. How, how, how can Jesus heal on the Sabbath? And they were missing the point that, uh, that Jesus was uh, healing. He was ministering. He was speaking to hearts. He was coming down to where the people were, and he was reaching them, and they were saying, you're not supposed to do it that way, Jesus. And they were contradicting what he was standing for. See, they believed that it was by their righteousness. A Pharisee was that uh, his righteousness is what made him right with God, that, that they didn't just follow the law. They were a strict adherence to the law, but not just the Ten Commandments, but the whole law. And they believed that, uh, that the, the way they earned God's good graces was by observing all these rules and regulations, and they were leaving out the relationship part. Each and every one of us here, the Bible says, our righteousness is like filthy rags. No matter how righteous we would try to make ourselves, no matter how righteous we would try to be in and of ourselves, in our own works, in our own flesh, that righteousness can never measure the righteousness of God. In Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love towards us that while we were still sinners, Christ, he died for us. Nicodemus, he, he, he was a Pharisee, but he was not like his peers because he knew that there was something different about Jesus. He recognized uh, the authority that Jesus had, uh, the authority that when he spoke uh, or when he taught or when he cast out demons or when he healed, uh, he saw the authority and he knew he was from God. And so when he came to him and Jesus told him, you must be born again, Nicodemus, he said, how can these things be? Right? And it wasn't from a place of question or, or doubt uh, or even challenge, but 
But Nicodemus was thinking in the physical. He was saying, how can this be? This doesn't make any sense. This seems impossible. And sometimes when we go through things and, and we're like, this doesn't make any sense, God. We're going through trials. Uh, we feel we're doing everything right. We're coming to church. We're faithful. We're serving God. Uh, but yet, man, we find ourselves in trial. We find ourselves going through times in our lives where we feel like, man, I, I just don't understand how these things can be, God. And, and what happens is, we begin to pull back and say, God, I've done all these things for you, and I've been serving you faithfully, and I've been giving of my time and of my resources, and yet I don't see things changing within my life. And what Nicodemus was forgetting, and I think what sometimes we forget, is that uh, we're in the natural, but God is supernatural. God's a supernatural God, and even though we don't see what might be taking place uh, behind the scenes, God is moving, and God is doing something on our behalf, uh, Romans 8.28, all things work to the good, the Bible says, right? To those who love God and are called according to his purposes. And when he was talking to Nicodemus about salvation, about being born again, Nicodemus was thinking in the natural. We know that salvation is a supernatural act, thank God, man. A supernatural move of God that we couldn't do it on our own. We couldn't save ourselves from the stain of our sin and the guilt of our sin. It took a supernatural move of God that when Jesus came and hung on that cross and said it is finished and resurrected on the third day, and when we made that decision to follow him, the chains of hell were broken within our lives. We experienced deliverance. We experienced healing. We experienced forgiveness. That's a supernatural act. See, to be a recovering Pharisee, it's not enough to know about Jesus, but you have to know Jesus personally. Nicodemus knew Jesus. He knew Jesus was from God. He called him rabbi. He, he attested to the, to the miracles that he was doing that he had to be from God, but he hadn't known him personally just yet. And it's not enough to know about Jesus. We have to know him personally. It's not enough to know we must be born again, but we must, we have to allow our lives to become born again. And what does it mean to be born again? It means we have a new life in Christ. It means the old man is dead, washed, passed away. We have a, a new life in Jesus. Uh, we're now on a new foundation. Uh, and those things that might have been going on in our lives, we turn away from those things, those old sins, those old habits, uh, those old attitudes. We turn to Jesus uh, we begin to build on that foundation of his word. We know this is not anything new as, as born-again Christians. We've heard, this, we've heard this message. We know what it means to be born again. But we have to be careful that we don't lose the fire for Christ. That we don't lose the desire to have closeness with him. That we don't lose that uh, desire to have that, just that bond as with him as our heavenly father. I, I always appreciate when, when uh, Dean Braxton comes. And it seems it's always timely, um, not just for our church, but like for me personally, I'm saying because whenever I hear him speak, whenever I hear him talk about his experience, uh, you, you can tell he has a personal relationship with Christ. He has a personal, deep, inter intimate relationship with God the Father. And as he's ministering, you can hear the thankfulness in his life uh, that he's been able to experience something that many of us will one day, as born-again Christians, will get to experience. And that's heaven, being in the presence of God. And, and as he ministers, I just say, man, 
I just want to get into a deeper relationship with you, Lord. He stirs. uh, He helps stir that gift that's inside of us. Relationships, they take work, don't they? Married men, married women, amen. They do take work. We have to value relationships. We have to value one another, and we have to value our relationship with God and, and not take it for granted. Well, God's there. He knows my heart. He loves me. Yes, and he wants that closeness with you, and he wants us to desire that closeness with him, that thankfulness, that appreciative heart, to, that gratitude in our spirit. And it really comes down to that we would remember our first love. Remember our first love. In Revelations chapter 2, verse 2 through 4, it says, To the church of Ephesus, I know your works, your labor, and your patience, that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. He says, but nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do those first works. Here Jesus is speaking to this church and he's saying, you're doing everything right. You, you hate evil, you're, you're serving, you're being a testimony, you're being a light, but there's something missing, and that is that personal connection between you and I. You're forgetting your first love. And when we forget our first love, when we forget to, that what God has done in our lives, you know what happens? Our appreciation begins to subside. Our, our thankfulness begins to, 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 to shrink instead of expand. We find ourselves doing things in and of our own selves, just like the Pharisees were doing. See, to be a recovering Pharisee, we also need to continue to develop godly character. Galatians 5, um, 22 and 23 gives an example of godly character. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, Goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are characteristic traits of God. God is love. God, there's self that the fruit of, of, of the Holy Spirit that's produced in an individual. Sometimes I'll hear one of my kids say or do something, and I know instantly where they got that from. Either their mother or myself. And it's like, oh, man, I know, I know, I've heard this before. It's me all over again, right? I think my son the other day was upset. He did something. He was like, I'm becoming my dad. But what is it? It's that there's a characteristic trait that was passed on genetically, but also what I, what I model, what I'm exemplifying, and what I show. And our children, they pick up on those characteristic traits, and you as parents, you know, you can see yourself in your, in your child at times. I see it in, even in my grandkids. I'll hear him say, uh, say or do something, and I'll look over there at their mother. And I'm like, oh, I know where he got that from. Because we're reflecting Christ. We're reflecting God. And, and as children of God, we, we should reflect the character and the nature of God. Someone said, always let people see a reflection of God in you. We live in a time where people need to see true examples of Christ followers, true examples of Christians. 
men and women that will love, men and women that will pray, men and women that will stand for Jesus, men and women that will stand for the righteousness of God, and many men and women that you can see them and say, man, they have a, an awesome relationship with God. They have an intense walk with God. They have a genuine love for Jesus Christ. It's one of the first things that attracted me to this, to this church uh, some 27 years ago. When I walked in through those doors and the worship started, as I saw individuals that they were really worshiping God. They loved the Lord that they were singing to. They were lifting up holy hands and they were singing. And it wasn't just from their minds, but they were singing from their hearts. And it's amazing, man, to be able to be able to do that and to still come into the house of God and to still praise God and to still allow ourselves to say, thank you, Lord, for all that you have done. We need to get around people like that, godly people. Godly people, they edify you. They build you up. They build your faith. They encourage you to go on and press on and go forward. But you know what else godly people do? Uh, they convict you if you're not living right. Yeah. They challenge you to a higher standard of Christianity. And it's not because they're there saying, I'm challenging you. But just by the way they're living their lives. You know, they're, they're not perfect. None of us are. Not walking on water or calming storms. Uh, but you see their lives. And you see that no matter what struggle they might be going through, you see that no matter what comes against them. The joy of the Lord is still in their heart. Uh, there's a thankful song in their heart. Uh, they're still fighting on. They're still pressing through. And you say to yourself, man, I want to be like that. I want that influence. I work, I've worked in construction for, geez, almost all my adult life. And I tell you what, I, I, I've worked around some, but for the most part, they weren't godly individuals that I work around. Raw and rugged, rough. God loves them. God loves them. And I tell them that. And it feels so good to be able to come into the house of God and be amongst like-minded individuals. Individuals who love God. Individuals that are, you see smiles in this place. God bless you, brother. God bless you, sister. So good to see you in the house of God tonight. That's genuine. And we need that. We need that fellowship with one another. One of the uh, strongest opponents to godly character is the spirit of self-righteousness, though. The dictionary definition of self-righteousness is confidence in one's own righteousness. Biblically speaking, self-righteousness uh, is a term related to legalism. It's the idea that we can somehow generate within ourselves a uh, righteousness that will be acceptable to God. Spurgeon said this, he said that the, the, the greatest enemy to the human soul is the self-righteous spirit which makes men look to themselves for salvation. And oftentimes when you see individuals that are, might be struggling with that spirit of self-righteousness, uh, what, what you see and, and what you get is that uh, there's a lack of appreciation there. There's a lack of thankfulness uh, there. They, they feel like, I did this on my own. I don't have anyone to thank because I did this. There was a rapper um, a couple years ago that he received his uh, star on the Walk of Fame. And when he went to give his speech, uh, he went up, and, and usually when you give a speech, it's in a, to receive any kind of award or, or, or um, honor, 
you, you want to go and you want to, uh, I, I want to thank this person or this person or that person, right? Because you know you didn't get there by yourself. Well, this guy came up there and he just says, first of all, I want to thank me. And I want to thank me for doing all the hard work and me for doing it. And he, all he did was just thank himself. And I said, what a dude, man. Because there's no way he did that all by himself, man. But there was a self-righteousness spirit at work in this individual's life that he couldn't even bother to show appreciation and thank and honor those that helped him get where he was at. Luke 18, 10 through 14. There's a story of a Pharisee that uh, uh, says uh, that Jesus told a story of someone who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. And he was saying two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer. He says, I thank you, God, that I am not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. And I'm certainly not like that tax collector. He says, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector, he stood at, the dis- at a distance, and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, Bible says, he beat his chest in sorrow and saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. And I tell you that this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And I tell you that uh, the closer that we get to Jesus, the closer that we get to God, the more connected we become to his Holy Spirit, I think what happens is the more we realize just how much in need of a Savior we really are. Thank God for his mercy. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his life. The examples are throughout scriptures. Isaiah in 6.5, when he saw the throne room of God, he says, woe is me, I am undone. He says, because I am a man of unclean lips. Peter, he told Jesus in Luke 5.8, he says, depart from me. I am a sinful man, O Lord. Daniel, when, when the angel of God touched him, he, he, he fell to his knees trembling, the Bible says. Job, he says, my ears have heard you, but now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Even John, the disciple, the Bible says the disciple whom Jesus loved, he walked and he talked with Jesus. He was at his side when he was in here on earth doing his ministry. And when he was on the island of Patmos and he was receiving the revelation, uh, when he saw Jesus in his glorified state, he says, when I saw him, I fell at my feet as if I were dead. Each of these individuals, they had these amazing encounters with God. They, they, they had these awesome relationship with the Lord. They, they heard from God. They, they loved God. And yet they realized man, God's love is humbling. God's love is humbling. And when they were in their presence, they realized just how awesome and just how mighty God is. See, the mark of, a, of godly character is that it's an indication that the believer has spent time with Jesus and their life has been radically changed as a result. So I wind this down, uh, Saul of Tarsus, he's another example. We know he was a religious individual that with zeal he persecuted the church. He was there when Stephen was, was being persecuted and killed and he was consenting to it. 
He was uh, persecuting the church of Christ. And on his way to Damascus, uh, Jesus uh, interrupted his plan. And he says, why are you persecuting me? And when I read that, I said, man, he didn't say my church or my people or my children. He says, why are you persecuting me? In church, when you go through things, when you feel that you're being assaulted, when you know that the enemy is coming against you, you can be encouraged tonight uh, that Jesus takes that personally. And he's saying, you're, you're coming against me. When, you, when, you, when you're coming against my children, when you're coming against my church, when you're coming against my loved ones, you're coming against me. That's the God we serve tonight. And Paul or Saul at the time, he got to know that firsthand. He says in Philippians 3, verses 4, 3, 4, 4 through 14, he says, Though I myself may have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he begins to list his pedigree here. He says he was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. And in regard to the law, he was a Pharisee. As for zeal, he was persecuting the church. And as for righteousness, based on the law, he said he was faultless. He said, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Verse 12, he says, not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to, take, to have taken hold of it. But mark this right here. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. He says, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me on heavenward in Christ Jesus. He says, the one thing I do he says, I forget what is behind, and I strain towards what is ahead. See, lastly, as our worship team comes up, a recovering Pharisee needs to be teachable. You say, why teachable? Because teachable translates to thankful. Each and every one of us here, we can look back in our lives and say, man, if I had this to do over, or I would have done things differently, or if I knew then what I know now, man, I would have made different choices or decisions. And sometimes we get hanged up on, on past mistakes or bad decisions we might have made or maybe even missed opportunities and we get stuck in this place uh, where we can't go forward. In our hearts, it's hard to be thankful because we're looking at what could have been or what might have been or what should have been. We, if you've ever seen that movie, uh, Napoleon Dynamite, we'd be like, become like Uncle Rico, right? If, if the coach would have only put him in the fourth quarter, they would have won state and gone on to championships, and his life would have been different. The truth is, is that we make mistakes, and the truth is that sometimes we make bad decisions, but thank God for grace. Thank God for mercy, and thank God that we serve a God that moves us past those missteps and builds us and refines us and molds us and shapes us. And if we're thankful and if our hearts are open, then we'll be willing to learn. We'll be willing to learn from those past mistakes, to not make them again, amen. But to learn that even though we might have fallen short and even though we might have missed the mark, we serve a God that loves us. We serve a God that wants the best for us. We serve a God that, that understands uh, 
just how sinful we are and he loves us anyways and that's why he deposited his son into our lives we could be thankful thankfulness it changes our perception someone said some people are always grumbling because roses have thorns he says but I'm thankful that the thorns have roses thankfulness it'll strengthen our relationships it'll improve studies have even shown that it'll improve our health help us sleep better at night when we're thankful the country music star Willie Nelson said this when I started counting my blessings my whole life turned around think about that I don't know if he has a walk with God or not but that's something profound to be said you imagine if we as the children of God would begin to count our blessings begin to tell God what we're thankful for, begin to tell God how much we appreciate him and what he's doing in our lives, man, the, the miracle that we would begin to see within our lives. Lastly, Philippians 4, 10 through 13. He says, how I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Here's Paul talking to the church of Philippians here, of Philippi. He says, not that I was ever in need. He says, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. And I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or with little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. See, we can look at what we might have missed out on. We can look at what we might not have. We can look at what others have and, and wonder why we don't. Or we can just say, God, I'm so thankful for all that you're doing, all that you've done. And it might not be much, but it's mine. It's what you've given me, God. And I'm going to hold on to this. Our Thanksgiving holiday has come and gone. It's come and gone, but our appreciation should never. Our thankfulness to God should never come and go. It should be constant within every believer's life. We should be waking up in the morning thanking God for the breath of life. And at night when we go to bed, we should be thanking God for a new day, for the hope of a new day. That no matter how hard the day might have been, no matter what might have gone on, Lord, that you would give your servant rest, and tomorrow we have at it again. It's the God of, of, of second chance that we serve. It's the God that uh, is a blesser, a healer, not a destroyer. We can have our heads bowed and our eyes closed tonight in reverence to God.